Uh, I, I want to preach a, a message today. We're starting a series going back to some of the, the core values and the beliefs that really helped to define Ember and, and start us off five or so years ago. And so if you remember last week, I preached a message on faith and vision. And I said that faith and vision are very similar because they see something that doesn't yet exist as though it does. So then our current reality matches this perceived reality. Are, are you with me? So, so we need to get a, a vision. We need to have faith for the picture that God lays out for us in the Word, the, this perfect picture. We need to see that. We need to align our values and our visions with the Word of God. And so I want to just go back because many times I, I find that people are living life without vision. They're, they don't have a picture of what God says. They, they don't know what a vision for a godly home looks like or raising godly kids or going to work in an environment that, where you're maybe not surrounded by Christians. And so I felt like it was time for us to go back and, and look at some of those values. You may even want to claim some of them as your own. And so... We were preparing for those, and I, I, I want to tell you today, the message is not me trying to be trendy. I, I want to talk about what's going on in the world, because I believe the church shouldn't be relevant. It is relevant. Okay, the church is relevant. If the church is doing what it's supposed to do, it's going to be relevant, and it's going to speak into every situation, and it's going to paint that picture, that vision of what God says this thing is supposed to look like. And so I'm not... I'm not trying to be trendy today. I'm trying to reveal my heart and what I believe is the heart of, of Ember. And so the message today, I've entitled it Breaking Down the Division. Breaking Down the Division. And so, as I said last week, we need to begin with the end in mind. And so I want to take you to the end. Can I take you to the end of the story? Can I take you to Revelation? If, if you'll go with me, and you're going to have to be fast. Like this is going to be, when I was growing up, they used to have these things called sword drills. And raise your hand if you know what a sword drill is. Oh, more than I thought. Okay. You know, and so you'd have these drills where you'd have to find scripture real fast. Well, today, you're either going to have to listen to me or you got to move fast because I'm, I'm going. Okay, I'm, I'm moving fast in the first part of this thing. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. I wanna, want you to see the end of the story. This is where we're headed. Chapter 7, verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I get excited every time I read that. I, I, if, if you can't get excited about that, this multitude of people from all tribes and tongues, all praising God, then I don't know, there's something wrong with you, okay? But I, but I get excited and I say, you know what, that is the end of the story, and so there is no segregation in the kingdom of heaven. So why is there so much segregation here on earth? And why is there even so much segregation in the church? Hmm. So there's no segregation in the kingdom. I need to ask the question, why is there segregation in the church? Now, right about there is usually when somebody will stand up and say, Now, Kevin, now, Kevin, you, you just need to preach the gospel. 
okay, you don't need to get caught up in the things of the world. You just need to preach the, the gospel. And I will tell you, this is the gospel. This is the final picture. This is the gospel. If your reality doesn't look like this, maybe you don't have the gospel. Maybe you've got something else, but I don't think you have the gospel. This is the, the gospel. Now, I wasn't very good at math, but I did take a little geometry. And my geometry te- ta- taught me that if I had two points, I could draw a straight line. Now, sometimes you can have two points and draw a crooked line. <laughs> All right. But I don't know what that's called in geometry, okay? But anyway, I want to give you two points. I gave you the end point. I want to give you the beginning point. If I can take you over to Genesis chapter 12, there's this man named Abraham that God calls, and he makes him a promise, not only for his self, not only for his family, but he makes him a promise of what's going to happen in the world. Listen to what he says. God says, and I will make, I'm in 12 verse 2, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. Now, all of that's relating to Abraham. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. But listen to this. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Did you see that? God is making a covenant with Abraham, and he says, I'm making you a promise that through you, all the families of the world, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Hmm. Let's keep going. So then we go over to Galatians, and we're looking at this early church. And Paul writes to this early church in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, and here's what he says. There, well, let me go to 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have, been, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Did you see Abraham? Do you see what is happening? That as Jesus comes on the scene, He is taking all those who were separated, who believe in Christ, and He is bringing them into one family, and He is fulfilling the promise that He made to Abraham. That all the families of the world would be blessed. Now, sometimes we romanticize the the New Testament a little bit too much. Do you know what I mean by that? We sort of act like they had it all together, and we got it all messed up. But the reality is they had some things messed up too. That's why Paul writes many of his letters is to straighten some things out. And so they, they didn't have it all together. They didn't get it all right. And so this early church is formed and they're bringing in these believers. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. Now as this time while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. Now there ain't never been no complaints in church now, has there? Huh? Well, okay, we'll just look at this hypothetically because there's never a complaint in church. All right? But this complaint arose in, in the early church on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. What in the world are Hellenistic Jews? Well, Hellenistic Jews are Jews that they don't speak Hebrew, they speak Greek. 
and they don't follow the Hebrew culture. They've been in the Greek culture for so long that everything about them is really Greek. Okay, so now there's this these Hellenistic Jews. They're Greek in language, Greek in culture. And it says that there arose a complaint on the part of those Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of bread. So they were being forsaken. You have two different cultures, and one was being forsaken. And so the apostles get together and they pray, and they decided to choose a group of people. And we know them as... And we know them as deacons. Everybody say deacons. Deacons. Deacons are servants. You say, where did the deacons come from? The deacons came from, the servants of the church came from a complaint between two cultures. So they picked these Holy Spirit-filled men And I want to read something to you here because it names them, which I think is interesting. And it says, The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Loaded question here. We didn't do so good with the deacon. I don't know how well we're going to do with this question. Anybody notice anything about their names? There's no accident that they put their names there. You notice anything about their names? Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnaeus, Nicholas. They're all Greek. They're all Greek. Oh, you got it, didn't you? The Greeks are being forsaken. So they didn't go grab a bunch of Jews who spoke Hebrew and lived in the Hebrew culture to take care of the issue. No, they got Holy Spirit-filled, Hellenistic, Greek-speaking men of God to go fix the problem. Do you see that? Okay, I got to keep going. Now, it says that one of them was from Antioch. You need to know a little bit about Antioch. Antioch is this place... Uh, where this new church form is the place where the first missionary journey takes place. They send people out. It's the place that Barnabas took Paul because he said, you got to see these folks down here. What is it about this church? Well, Antioch was this place where all these cultures came together. It was this place where they all lived in separate places and they were all fighting amongst each other. These different uh, acts of violence and riots would break out and they would harm each other. But this church formed at Antioch, and this amazing thing happened. God called the people out of those situations, and he put them into one family, and they began to love each other. And and they began to create this family of God so that this is the church that actually started missionaries. Because you know why? Because they felt like everyone deserved the gospel. They felt like no one should be left out. And if you look at the leadership of this group, it is pretty amazing. In in Acts chapter 13, here's some more names you need to look at. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. This is real fast theology. You see what we're doing today? We're, We're going real fast. 
Now, there was at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. Some of y'all wonder where my dad got his name. Now you know. You're like, where did they ever find the name Lucius? Well, they found it in the Bible. That's my dad's name. Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were uh, ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set out for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I have called them. I just want to draw your attention to something. Simeon, who was called Niger, was a place in West Africa. Lucius, who was of Cyrene, is from northern Africa. Herod, the Menaean, the friend of Herod, is a very potentially wealthy man. And Paul is from Turkey. If you're following this thing carefully, you see that when God called his family together, he even called a diversity of leaders. Did you see that? That when God wants to build a multi-ethnic family, he calls multi-ethnic leaders. And he brought them together. And now we're to the heart of the scripture today, which is, if you haven't followed me yet, follow me now. Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. And in a Ephesians chapter 2, I want to read these verses for you. I'm going to read about seven or so verses. Let's begin in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you were formerly, were far off, having been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the, the dividing wall. By abolishing in the flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far away, and he preached to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, and in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. There's a lot of ones there, and I want to draw your attention to them. He takes two different groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, who absolutely hated each other. And he said he turned them into one new man. And then it says that he, he made one body in verse 16. And in verse 18, it says that he did it by one spirit. And then in verse 19, it said that there's one city. And in that one city, he brought together a bunch of aliens and a bunch of strangers. And he made them citizens of one city, the city of God. Ooh, that's good, isn't it? That's good imagery. And then it says that the apostles and the prophets, they were building up one building. And it goes on to say that that's one temple. 
And that's one dwelling place. So I would tell you that if there's all these ones, then why do we have so much division? Clearly, he was trying to make us one. How did he do it? When Jesus comes, he comes as the one who breaks down the division. That is the title of the message today. He breaks down the division. Now, you need to know a little something here about what it's referring to. Carrie, you remember years ago I preached a message on the temple? Yes. <laughs> you hear that? Yes. I preached a message on the temple. This is when we were starting to use technology and different things and projectors and all. And, and we had this picture of the, the temple, Herod's temple. And, and we flew like this drone in it. And I described all the different compartments of the temple. Oh, it was hot stuff, wasn't it? It was good. It was good. I, I don't have that for you today, but you need to picture this temple. So we're going to act like this is the temple, okay? You're in the temple. Now, in the temple, you would have the area that the Gentiles could go in. And if you want to know where that is, if you were not a Jew, if you were anyone else, you had to stay in the Gentile court. Now, where's the Gentile court? That would be on the outside aisle, all the way around the back, okay? Now, you couldn't come sit down, okay? You, you only got to hang around the very outside. In fact, there were signs by the gates for the Gentiles to see that said, if you go in here, we will kill you. That's pretty serious business, right? It said, you, you're good. You can hang out around the outside, but don't come in the inside because you guys are, are tarnished and tainted and, and sinful. And so if you come in, we're going to have to kill you because, you know, we got to keep the temple pure. So the Gentiles hung around just on these outside edges. Now, in the, the seats right here where you guys are, anybody else could go there. If you were a Jew, you could go in there. But if you're a woman, this is as far as you could go. It was called the women's court. And it meant that the women could go in there, and, and, and the men, but that's as far as the women could go. So the women couldn't come up here. Hmm. Only the men could come up here. But it gets worse because now you've got to divide the men, and not all the men could go into the holy place. The, only the priests could go there. But, but then there was only one priest who could go into the innermost part called the Holy of Holies. He was the high priest, and only one man could go in there. That stands to reason there is a lot of division in that analogy, is it not? Yeah. But it said Jesus Christ, he became our peace. How did he do that? How did he break down the division? Because he became the one high priest. Oh, it's about to get good. He became the one high priest. And rather than offer an animal sacrifice, he became the sacrifice. He gave his life. Yeah, but look, he didn't just give it to the men or to the priest. He didn't just give it to the women. He didn't just give it to the Gentiles. No, it said that he tore down all the divisions. That, yeah, you clap there. That's why when he was crucified, the veil of the temple was literally torn in two. Because what Jesus was saying is, all of these restrictions and barriers that have kept you from me, they're gone. <laughs> 
Women, you can come to Jesus. Gentiles, those who feel like they are far from God, you can come. It said Jesus preached the message to those who were near and those who were far. And he said you all have the ability to come. And so the gospel is that Jesus brought us all together. Now, why would you let anyone keep us apart? Right? If Jesus has done all of that to destroy all of those divisions and make us one. That's what Paul was trying to say in Galatians. There is neither what? Jew nor Greek. I tore down that wall. There is neither male nor female. I tore down that wall. There is neither slave nor free. Tore down that wall. You are all one in Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. But I don't know about y'all, but there are some times that I don't like conflict. Actually, it's most of the time I don't like it. I come from a family with a rich heritage of preserving peace at all costs. Does anyone know what I mean? Does anyone come from that family? It means if you don't say nothing, there won't be nothing. Right? And so what you do is you just keep your mouth shut. Or... You do whatever it takes in order to make sure that there's peace. The kids start talking. They start arguing with each other. And you run. You try to break it up because the Lord knows they can't be fighting with each other. You know? Or different family members are disagreeing and you try to stop that. And so I want to tell you today that if you're going to hear this message, you have to know that there are two kinds of peace. There is a peace that is established in Christ and there is false peace. And you need to make sure that you are not propping up false peace. The best way I can describe that is to tell you about my mama. And since she's not here, she's gone to be with the Lord, I'm going to talk good about her. So mama had that skin like me. When you go out in the sun, you don't tan, you freckle. She had that kind of skin. You know, back in the day, they didn't really talk about sunscreen and all that. And so... As she got older, she found out when she went to the dermatologist that she had some skin cancers. Now, my mom took a, a really good approach, which is she went to that doctor, and she let him look her over. And he would find these skin cancers on her, and he would say, you know what, that skin cancer right there, I'm going to have to burn it off. And, and he would take something, I don't know what it was, because I never went. But he would burn these skin cancers and she'd come home and it'd be red and it'd be irritated and it'd be like a, a wound. It's like a flesh wound. And, and it was like, oh my, ooh, that looks painful. And if you knew my mama, she could tolerate some pain. So for her to be in pain, you knew this really hurt. One day she went and he said, you know, Miss Taylor, you have a, a skin cancer on your chin and I can't burn this one. I'm going to have to cut it out. And he said, I'll cut it out, I'll make sure that I get it all, and then I'm going to stitch it back together. And so she'd have burns, and she'd have cuts, and she'd have bandages on her. But the reality was she was removing the cancer that should she not remove it, it would have killed her. Yeah. Now, some people take another approach, which is, well, if you don't say nothing, there won't be nothing. I don't mean to talk about my dad, but that's my dad's approach. Dad's listening from home. Hey, Dad, love you. 
Dad believes that if you don't go to the doctor, you won't be sick. My, my dad believes that as long as you don't make nothing of it, it won't be nothing. And, and so dad doesn't want to go. He don't want you to tell him he's got cancer. But there's a really dangerous thing about that mindset, which is if you do have cancer, you do not get it out. In fact, I'll go so far, and this is not my dad, but there are sometimes, you know, those, those cancers, they look real bad. Can, can you imagine if a person had one of those and they said, you know, I don't want to go get it cut out or I don't want to have it burned off. I'm just going to put a bandage over it so no one will know that I have cancer. Now, how smart is that? You see, Jesus is in himself our peace. But Jesus is also the one who went into that women's uh, area and he threw out the money changers. With whips. <laughs> Threw them out. Because you see, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but not false peace. He wasn't going to walk into the women's court where all the money changers were and all of this evil to where people couldn't approach God and say, well, you know what, that's all good. We just ain't going to talk about it. we just going to act like it's not there. In fact, I'd rather just put a Band-Aid on it and cover it so people can't see it. Maybe put a bigger veil up where they can't see it, so we won't have to deal with it. And what does Jesus do? He walks right up in the middle of it. And he calls it out. And I would tell you that as Christians, too many times when it comes to the divisions that are in the church, we have been silent because we wanted false peace. You see, as Americans, we like comfort. And I find, particularly as a white man, that it's very easy for me to find comfort, which is, oh, I wish they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that, or I wish we wouldn't talk about that. Can't we just all get along? Anybody like that? Can't we just all get along? Well, you know we cannot get along as long as, long as we create barriers between each other. We can't get along. You are fighting for a false peace. And I believe that you are fighting against God. Because God said, I don't mind mixing it up. <laughs> Can I just say it like that? Jesus said, I don't mind mixing it up. When it's wrong, I'll call it wrong. When I need to fix something, I will fix it. And so as a church, we cannot get into this thing where we just want this false kind of peace. In fact, I heard something the other day, and i got to move it along fairly steadily here. It was a group of people talking about the, the institutional church and they were leaving the institutional church and because they had it all right and the institutional church had it all wrong. And I started thinking about that. And I said, is there anywhere in Scripture it talks about the institutional church? The Bible doesn't talk about an institutional church. The Bible doesn't talk about a home church. Bible talks about one church. It is the church where Jesus Christ is Lord. And so a lot of times we get upset with each other. And this is a major point of this message. We, we don't like some things that are going on. And so the strategies that we have often look like this. Well, I'll just go and start my own thing. 
you know. I don't like what's going on somewhere. I'll just go start my own thing. So now there are people who have left the, the institutional church, and they go start their own thing. And, and I had, mm, y'all, I thought about writing. Y'all ever do that? You, you write something, and then you delete it, which is the smart thing to do, right? Yeah, there are times you need to just write what's on your mind and then hit delete before you send. Yeah, I didn't even get to the writing part, but I was thinking about writing and saying, you know what? <laughs> I, I have found that the people who have such trouble against the institutional church should leave the institutional church because it's better for them and the institutional church. And then I caught myself and I said, Kevin, that ain't Christ-like. That ain't what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to separate us. He came to make us one church. So we have to fight against the urge to just say, you know what? I don't like that, so I'm leaving. We have to work hard at loving each other and, and having real peace. And, and, and so you see that in the church to where we have the white church and we have the black church and we have the Korean church and the Hispanic church. Why? Because it's comfortable, right? It's comfortable to be around people that, that look like you and, and do the same things you do and you understand their culture and they have the same language. It, it just feels comfortable. Can I tell you that Jesus did not die for your comfort? He died to make us all one. <laughs> Pastor D and I went to this conference. It was a roundtable held by Derwin Gray. Do any of y'all know him? Transformation Church up toward, I think that's like the Fort Mill area, Tiga K area up there. He's done a lot in terms of bringing uh, people together. It's a multi-ethnic church. We were invited because people knew that we have a multi-ethnic heart here at Ember. And you might ask, well, why did you say multi-ethnic and not multi-race? Because again, in Scripture, there's but one race. It is the human race. And, but there are ethnicities. And, and so Duran Gray had this round table, and he made this statement, and I thought, wow, this is so good. He said, getting together with people that look like you might seem comfortable. You might even think it's benign. Do you know what benign means? Like when they tell you you have cancer and then they tell you it's benign, you, you have a sigh of relief, you're like, whew, okay, it's not going to grow, it's not going to kill me, right? He said that homogeneous churches, that's where everybody looks just like you, okay? So a homogeneous church, they look like you, they talk like you, they dress like you, they, they look just, everything's just like you, okay? He said that's not a matter of convenience, and it's not benign. He said it's toxic. He said it's dangerous. That it's dangerous. Hear me out on this one. That it is dangerous for you to go to church with people who look just like you and act just like you and to not associate with people that are like you. Now, I understand in the context of our history, I, I get it. I, I, don't, I don't think white people have an excuse. And, and can I just be offensive to everybody right here for a moment? That way, if I'm being, you know, I just get it all. I, I understand, you know, as, as white people, we put all of the African-Americans in the balcony. So I understand why the African-American church says, I'd like to just go by myself and not have to worry about conforming to something. I, I get that. But for white folk, we don't have an excuse. We push people into the balcony, and we push people out 
because they didn't look like us. And that was not the heart of God. And, and it is not benign. It is toxic. And what happens is this. We start to not look like the world around us. As a white man, I have prepared when I go to heaven that there are going to be more people in heaven that look opposite of me than me. Do you know that the white man in heaven is going to be a minority? When you think about all the Chinese that are going to be saved and all the Indians that are going to be saved and all the South Americans that are going to be saved, I go up there and say, you know what? I'm not top dog there. I'm a slim minority when I get there, and I'm good with that. I'm like, I will be in the minority, but I'm just glad to be there. Among the saints. Glad to be among the, among the saints. Uh, but we, we, we stop looking like people who are like us. Durham Gray gave some statistics. He said this, 13.7% of churches in America are multi-ethnic. That's like just over 1 in 10. And if you're looking at multi-ethnic churches in Chester, you have to go outside and borrow some churches from Rock Hill and Lancaster and Union and Charlotte in order to get that statistic up to 13. Because we're far more segregated than that. And, and he said that uh, the churches are 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods in which they're built. And they're 20 times more segregated than the school systems that their kids go to. So this thing is dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Because when I'm only around people like me, I do not understand what other people are going through. That is why, and I have taken some constructive criticism, which is fine, by the way, let me say that. When you come to Ember, you don't have to think like me. Can, can I just go ahead and let you rest like that? You, you don't have to think like me on every issue. We don't have to agree on every theological point. Again, Christ is making us one, not because we all agree, but because we're all covered by His blood. Yeah. So we've had healthy debates about this. you know, And we've had healthy debates about white privilege and whether it exists or not. But I can tell you, I have enough black friends that I know and I trust them that if they tell me there's a problem, I have to look to them more than I look to the media or anybody else and say, if they think there's a problem, there's probably a problem. And, and, and so I have to acknowledge that. But if I don't have any black friends, how do I ever know? I only see things from my perspective. And so we don't converse. My friend Randy Heath, I've told some of you this story before. I said, Randy, back in the good old days, and I was about to fly right past that. And Randy, because he's my brother, and he's an African-American, and he loves me, he stopped me and he said, hold, hold up. I said, what? He said, what are you talking about? What did you just say? I said, the, the good old days. He said, what do you mean by good old days? Well, I didn't know. It's just something I'd heard. I thought it was good to say. You know, It's always that thing, it was better back in the past. Right, you know, it was always better back then. Now's terrible, that, that was better, whatever it was. Randy looked at me and he said, Kevin, I'm a, I'm a black man. He said, what good old day am I supposed to go back to? Am I supposed to go back to 1960 when I couldn't go to school with you because of the color of my skin? Am I supposed to go back to the day I couldn't drink out of a, a water fountain? Do you know I cry every time I see that picture? And sometimes I pull that picture up just so I can cry. That picture that it's a water fountain that says whites only. That picture makes me cry. And I pull it up sometimes because I need to. 
I, I need to know that there are things going on that, that are different than the America that I'm experiencing. He said, am I supposed to go back to that day when I couldn't drink out of that same water fountain or sitting that same lunch counter? Or should I go back to, to slavery? Is that a better day for me? He said, Kevin, the black man doesn't have better days in the past. The only good days he can have is hopefully a day in the future. The, the black man, his better day is somewhere out here. That looks a lot more like heaven to me. That looks like a, a godly vision that Randy was saying, I'm looking for a day that looks like revelation. That's my better day. And if any of you, your picture of good looks more like the past than it does revelation, I think you need a different vision. I'm going to just go on. You just need a different vision. Because I don't think your, your vision is biblical. And so it is dangerous. And so we started this multi-ethnic church. We, actually, we didn't start a multi-ethnic church. All of us were white. I wanted to so bad. In fact, I even told Randy, I said, Randy, what if I just go to some African-American churches and just see if they'll give me some leaders so that we could start a multi-ethnic church? He looked at me and he was like, No! <laughs> I thought it was a good idea. That's what happens when you just hang out with people that look like you. Clearly, that was a bad idea. He said, do you know what other pastors are going to do if they think you are trying to steal their members? I was like, oh. I was like, I have no idea how to start a multi-ethnic church in Chester, South Carolina, in the heart of the South. But I know that's God's will. He said, Kevin, just pray. And, 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 and he said, and I'm going to say what he said. I'll say that for a little bit because I'm going to challenge you with that. But I didn't know how to do it. And I did pray. And Pastor D and I met each other. And we started having lunch together over chewy ice at Zaxby's. <laughs> and God began to knit our hearts together. We began to talk. And, and I can tell you that, that when we brought these two churches together, Everybody thought it was going to be easy. But I can tell you, it hasn't been nearly as easy as it might look. And I don't know how easy it looks. But, but you bring different cultures together. And, and so there are times where we would plan something, and we didn't realize that what something meant to the white culture, it didn't mean the same to the black culture. And what y'all didn't realize is for about the first six months that we did it, Pastor D and I would go meet at people's houses, and we would translate. So that if we were meeting with someone who was an African-American, Pastor D would translate. And if I, we were speaking to a white person, I would translate. See, some of y'all didn't know that. But what happened is we lived in different cultures. So that if you say we're having a, a youth Sunday, well, that means something in the black community that it doesn't mean in the white community. But we didn't know that. And it was only when we sat down over lunches and in people's homes that we found out that there were things we didn't know about each other. But can I tell you, I feel so blessed. Can, can I tell you how blessed I feel to be a part of a multi-ethnic church and to see things differently than I did before I was that way? Oh, there's such a richness, so many things that I see with a different perspective, so many things that I believe I see now, and I'm like, that's more godly. That's better. That looks more like the... The kingdom, it's worth it. 
It is worth the struggle. What we found out is this. When I started Ember, there was this thing called the homogeneous church, which meant you got all the 30-year-old white people that had kids together, and they started a church. And then you got all the African-Americans together of a particular age and, or whatever, and, and they started a church. And what we found is this. You can grow a real fast church like that because there's not too many conflicts. There's not too many disagreements. Everybody sees it all the same way. But you know what we found? And what George Floyd and the issues of the day have told us? You can grow a fast church, but you won't ever tear down barriers. You can grow a fast church if you want one, but you won't tear down the barriers that are keeping us apart. So what we're doing here is harder. It's harder. And it won't grow as fast. But I'm telling you we need it. Because I'm telling you, I don't want to be colorblind. I'm colorblessed. Do you feel that way, church? I I don't want to be colorblind. I want to see the things that make us unique. And out of that, I I feel like I'm colorblessed. And I believe that we are creating a culture that has some credibility with the world. Because can I tell you that the church that is all white and all black and all Korean and all Hispanic has lost all credibility with the world. Because it says, you want to talk about love and you only love the people that look just like you. And they have, we have no credibility with the world. But when we take on this posture, we reestablish that that credibility with the world. We we embrace the the differences and we call them out. Why? So that we can be healed by them. We, We call out those differences so that we can be healed. So what are we to do then? I want to leave you with this. I said, Randy, what what do we do? I want to start a multi-ethnic church. I don't know how. He said, until we let people in our homes, we are hypocrites. He said, Kevin, you could start a multi-ethnic church and not have a multi-ethnic home. I was so convicted. You know what I started doing? I was right there at McDonald's. I started counting the number of people that I had had in my home that did not look like me. I'm going to challenge you right now. Count up on your hands. Your hands. Take off your shoes if you need to. (laughs) How many people that don't look like you have been around your table? How many? And, And I'm not talking about that token Black guy, that token white guy. You know how we always do that? We always put a token in there to act like we're something that we're not. I'm not talking about tokens here. I'm talking about how many people have sat around your table and ate off of your dishes that don't look like you. And if they all look like you, then I'm going to challenge you. It doesn't do you any good to go to a multi-ethnic church if you do not have a multi-ethnic heart. You see, what Jesus was doing was, he said, I'm tearing down all the barriers. You know the barrier that needs to go first? It is the barrier in our heart. It is the barrier in our heart and the barrier of our living room. 
when anybody can step into your living room and eat around your table and play with your children and go to the movies with you and go out to dinner with you, then the barrier is broken. But if there's nobody around your table that looks different than you, I think you've got to reevaluate everything. So what did I do? I reevaluated everything. And I started making a habit of inviting people to my house that didn't look like me. And I'm telling you, what a blessing to see the world through, through different eyes. And then last thing as we close, and praise team, will you guys come up? I want us to sing that heaven song again. Can we do that? Praise team, come on up while I finish this thing out. There's a story that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. You probably know it, right? Good Samaritan, this guy is wounded on this road and uh, different people come by and they look at him, but they don't do anything because of whatever reason. And this Samaritan comes by and he's the one that's not supposed to stop, but he does and he takes care of this man. And I've been thinking about that based on the conditions of the culture today. It's no longer relevant in the conversation for us to say, I'm not a racist. Just stop it, okay? I'm going to speak to my my white brothers and sisters for a moment. It doesn't do me any good, as Kevin Taylor, to say I'm not a racist. The culture now isn't whether or not I put the man on the road. The question now is, as I'm walking by him and doing nothing, Am I being complicit? Not silent, because you see, silent, there's no intent for harm there. It's just you didn't say anything. But when we're complicit, you know what that means? We saw something, and we didn't do a thing. We didn't say a thing. We didn't stand up for anybody. Why? Because we valued false peace over real peace. I'm telling you as a church that we cannot be complicit anymore. That when it is wrong, you need to say it's wrong. And when we're able to make changes, we ought to make changes. Because I'm telling you that Jesus died for more. And when he comes back, he's not coming back for a white church and a black church and a Korean church and a Hispanic church. He's coming back for one church and he's calling in his bride. Will you stand up? Can you get a picture of that? So many times people say, well, I want to do something. I don't know what to do. Well, look, you ain't in the Senate. You ain't in Congress. Don't worry about that. Invite somebody to your house. You said, but it's all COVID and everything. I got a social distance. Get out on your back porch. Fire up your grill. Sit outside. Let your neighbors see you with somebody that don't look like you and let them start whispering. Did you see so-and-so over at their house? What was that all about? And, and do it on a regular basis where they're like, what in the world is going on over there? Then when they say something stupid, you can call them out and say, you know what? That was dumb. What, what you just said is dumb. You need to be quiet. And we're able to stand up for what we need to stand up for. Here's my prayer for us. Give us a vision of heaven. And Ember, don't get tired of fighting for a multi-ethnic church. It is what Jesus died for.